everybody. This is Karen Stefano, author of The Secret Games of Words. And with me tonight is Lan Kuntz, author of The Dark Sunshine. How are you, Lan? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm so happy to be talking to you about your awesome about your awesome stories. How are how are things up in Washington? Um, it's rainy, but things are good. Well, good. Um, yeah, I've got to I've got to like come up with a new um, starter starter line for these webcasts. I'm like I'm I'm such a cliche. I always ask everybody. Um, I talk to people who are all over the United States, but I always ask them, "Oh, what's the weather like?" So I've got to <laughs> I got to I got to up my game a little bit. Um, but uh, anyway, so thank you for for joining me and um what what I'd like to do is um obviously we're going to talk about your work in the dark sunshine and I have one story in particular that I'd like to hone in and focus on but before we get to that um I understand that you may be having another collection coming out Soon. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on in that direction? Yeah, it looks like um, I'm going to have a book out from Unknown Press, which is Bud Smith Press. He's a just a great guy, and uh, we've got sort of a gentleman's handshake, and it looks like it might come out by AWP, so like the end of March, believe it or not. And this is a collection of. Uh, pieces that I actually put together in a manuscript before the dark sunshine. So um, I'm really excited about it. Thanks for asking. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, no, I'm excited too. Um, you know, I think um, <laughs> I'm like the official webcast of, um, of unknown, of unknown press. I did a webcast with, with Robert Vaughn, um, who, as you know, has a, has a book out with Kathy Fish called Rift by Unknown Press. I, um, I did uh, a webcast with Bud. Um, so I'm like the official Unknown Press webcaster. But um, I love Unknown Press and I love Bud. And um, I think that's a fantastic partnership for you. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm really, really um, happy because I've been, kind of, I've been kind of jonesing. And I don't know, I've made like a couple of like little snarky uh, Facebook posts or not snarky, but like, okay, Lynn, when's your next collection come out? We're coming out. We're ready already. So, um, so that's, that's a great, great news for, for all of us. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, um, going back to the dark sunshine for a moment, um, there, there's one piece in particular that, um, I want to address, and that's the story fruit. And I haven't done this on a webcast before, but it's a it's a flash piece. Um, so I think this will work nicely. But I, if you wouldn't mind, I would like for you to read that piece, the whole piece, and then um, I just I just want to ask you a, a few questions. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, okay, here we go. Fruit. She notices 
the knives around her, the sharp items. She thinks about the act of slicing and peeling. She wants to become smaller, less. She wants to become just enough to still matter. She turns off all the lights, even during daylight, especially then. The world is wide, but so bright. Its light is a blurring horn, an alarm warning that something is not right. Equilibrium is off, that there must be adjustments to quell potential danger. She's never noticed before what a noisy place this planet is. Dirt bike motors or leaf blowers or someone's chainsaw is tearing up whatever is in front of it next door. Earplugs only work enough to make the noise a dull growl. The ramshackle rumble still irritates her waxy ear canals as if the bees become stuck inside. At the kitchen, the sink shines the blue-silver color of the trout's belly. It reminds her of a tomb and death. She remembers how they did the dishes together, Gary washing and her drying. They were poor, but in love. They were happy. She was only being honest when she told him what she'd done. Wasn't that worth something? Honesty? She'd never asked to know the gender. The people there were kind and gentle. It wasn't clinical or cold at all. They made her feel as if her choice was the right one. But Gary, Gary stopped a mid-white foam around his wrist. He wasn't convinced. The plates cracked like sudden thunder. Several slivers stuck her on the neck and cheek. One shard caught her in the eye, blinding her for hours. When she could see again, Gary was gone. That was last June. Now she opens the door and finds the paring knife. She remembers being a little girl and watching her mother peel an apple with the similar knife, unwinding the green skin in a single snake-like coil, the fruit beneath looking so white and vulnerable. She looks at the blade and thinks maybe she is different inside. Maybe she's made of good fruit after all. Wow, that is, that's a stunning piece, Len. And, um, you know, I have to tell you, I read, uh, I read this book uh, when it first came out. Um, uh, God, it was just before, I think it was just before AWP Seattle, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I read it, I read this book then, and um, I, I hadn't, reread it in a while and in preparing for this for this webcast I reread the stories and I'm just you know I'm just blown away by you and um your 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 softness uh the the simple prose that you know sneaks up on me and um and you know kind of kind of grabs me by the neck um and what really struck me about this piece were certain singular sentences and also the way they build on on one another. Like the first the first paragraph, she notices the knives around her, the sharp items. She thinks about the act of slicing and peeling. And it just it just it, it builds, builds, builds um, so gently. Um, 
and then then like I say, you, you, you know, I realize you got me by the neck. So um, so bravo. Um, it, it's it was it was delightful to read this book again. Thank you, thank you so much. But you know, this is a love fest because I'm a huge fan of your work because you put so much emotional depth into your stories. And um, so when we're reading them, you can pretty much feel the character's pain and they feel like they're biographical. So I was wondering how much of your writing is from real life. That's kind of a big question, Um, I guess, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It it is. Um, And the answer is, um, a fair amount is taken from real life experiences, um, though perhaps not entirely my own real life experiences. Um, the fact of the matter is that I steal a lot of um, bizarre tidbits from other people's lives, whether it's people I'm uh, staring at um, in the airport or um, uh, eavesdropping on in a, in a restaurant. Um, and then what happens is that I just sort of mishmash it all together and then I deconstruct it and then I reconstruct it again as it fits the story or if it doesn't fit the story, then it's, then it's gone. But, but yeah, there's, there's, um, there's a, there's a fair amount of, uh, stuff from my own life uh, in, in my stories, um, though I'll, uh, I'll, I'll never divulge uh, which parts. <laughs> yeah, you're smart to do that. I, mean, I do that too. Like where, wherever I go, I always have pen and paper around. So if I hear a word or see something interesting, I'll write it down, you know, and then I get home and I've got like 20 pieces of paper laying all over, but helpful way to do things I think yeah yeah it is and it's, it's funny I do that yeah yeah I and I do that too and I and I have a notepad that I have with me and I'll scribble stuff down or sometimes I'm reading the newspaper and I'll you know just rip out a, a paragraph that strikes me as something in the news um that I think I might be able to make something of um, fictionally at a later date. And it's funny, though, because I I just feel when I'm, like, tearing things out of the newspaper and slipping them in my backpack or my purse and then then scribbling down in just a little spiral notebook, I sometimes feel like – I feel self-conscious because I feel like I look like a crazy person, you know? Um, Yeah. yeah. So it's just – I guess that's just the way of the writer. You just look like a crazy person. Well, we are crazy, um, aren't we? Yeah. Um, so, you know, what we're talking about, like, the, the you know, the biographical parts, um, you know, how much, how much biographical stuff is, is in your work, would you say? Um, a lot? I would say a lot, yeah, actually. That story yeah? I just read, no, but... I had one story that um, kind of got a lot of notoriety and they interviewed me for it 
And she said, well, how did you come up with the idea for the story? And I said, well, it's all true. She goes, no, really, how did you come up with it? And it was, I just changed one little element in this story. It was all true. And the first line is, uh, mother's hottest, hottest deal. And when we were kids, we used to work in the fields with the, the migrants. And one summer we were working the cornfield and, um, during the day, and my mom drove the station wagon out at night, and we loaded it up with corn. And I realized later on that we were stealing from the guy we were working for during the day. And, uh, yeah, so it became a story. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, that's, well, I'm glad you got, you got a cool, I got a cool story out of that too um you're you're very very therapeutic you know writing yeah especially you know like i kind of screwed up childhood and like i did a reading one time and this guy came up to me because you seem like such a happy guy why do you write such dark stories i said well you've never met my mother so there you go yeah, I mean it's it is interesting reading your stuff. I mean it it is all not like one hundred percent dark. I mean, obviously, I mean if it if it's just black but not texturized, that's 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 not interesting. And your stories are very interesting. Um, I think largely because of their subtlety. But yeah, that's it's 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 interesting that that your stuff is so dark and you're such a nice guy <laughs> and you're, you, you're a happy, well-adjusted person. So, um, I don't know, maybe it is just because, you know, you have the, the therapy of the page. Uh, yeah, I won't, I won't, a- I won't ask you to, com- I, I won't ask you to comment further on that. <laughs> I, okay. I, I, we won't, I won't try to psychoanalyze you on this, on this webcast, but, but I do want to ask you, um, you are a master of compressing intense emotion into these little stories that are little in length and huge in terms of what's evoked within the heart of the reader. And so how do you do it? Um, I want I want to understand your process. I mean, the the story you shared about you know, you know, your mother teaching you how to steal. Um, that sounds like that kind of came came out pretty easily. I mean, do you just sit down and it all comes pouring out? Um, is it? Please tell me it's harder for you, or I'm going to feel really lousy about my own process. Well, to be honest with you, it does. It just kind of comes right out and usually I'll write a piece probably in an hour Um, and if I stop then I usually won't go back to it so I have to just keep writing and writing and uh, kind of vomit it out so to speak but I didn't even know what flash fiction was until I like six years ago and I just thought it was mesmerizing that you could put so much into a little space and we were doing this thing called uh, 52-250, where you had to write a story a week, and it had to be 250 words or less. 
And that really taught me how to parse the story because I'd always start out maybe 400 words and I have to take this line out and that line out. And yeah. it taught me how to make sure that every word uh, mattered. Um, but yeah, I write really quick. I do. I'm lucky that way. Like yesterday, I wrote 12 poems, you know, in like three hours. Okay, that's, um, that's, makes me feel bad. <laughs> um, that's, oh, not how, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works for me. Oh my God. I wish. Well, I wish if, I try, if I tried to write slower, then I just wouldn't be able to write, you know? So yeah. for me, I have to do it really, really fast. But yeah. everybody's got their own wow. style. But let's let's talk yeah. about yeah. Um, one of your one of your stories in your collection. I love your collection, as you well know. Um, but there's one uh, story in particular that I love uh, above all the others, and it's the story five because you pack so much in there. There's so many themes at play. You've got uh, family relationships, aging death, even the meaning of certain words, addiction, authenticity. Um, there's so much going on in there. And then there's this part where um, I'll just read it um, from the story five that you wrote. You could say impaired, handicapped, vertically challenged, but when it came right down to it, they all meant the same things. Words had a different meaning at Mayfair Village anyway. When my mother called to report that her neighbor, John, was in rehab, I knew it was not the same rehab I had just come from. So that, that comes like, oh, I don't know, we're probably 300 words into the story, and then you drop this bomb, boom, that the narrator has an addiction problem, right? That, that was just brilliant. Did you know... Um, that she was going to have an addiction problem when you started it? Um, no, um, I, I didn't. Uh, and that, that just sort of happened actually. And I honestly am not sure how, um, but it That was a brilliant in. move though. Well, well th thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean that was that was almost like a Len a Len Coons maneuver. I mean, because that's what you do. You just you just flip these little bombs in, and um, in kind of like a subtle subtle way. And and so um, that's I'm going to call that a Len Coons maneuver now. So, um, uh, uh, but um, but yeah, um, but but she. She was an addict, um, and she's struggling in recovery. And somehow that that came up as a theme because, and it stayed in the story because I did feel that it gave an important additional layer of her kind of her undoing um, and another layer of emotional uncertainty. And when I when I start a piece, I I know I usually know at least some of the themes I'm going to explore, but um, certainly not all of them. And um, obviously, I'm a fan of exploring characters when they're at their worst, and I'm drawn to mother-daughter conflict stories, marital conflict stories, um, uh, and this was set out to just be a uh, a, a mother daughter, you know, 
conflict, um, you know, facing, the, you know, the aging and death, the aging and death of um, Katie's mother. Um, and yeah, and the addiction part just, just, I don't, it just, it just came in there. So. Um, yeah, that was great. But does that, does that ever happen to you that you sit down to begin a piece and you know what themes you're going to explore, but then another theme comes in kind of out of nowhere? Not with short stuff. Um, short stuff, I usually don't know what I'm going to write. I just have a, a word or a sentence or something like that. I just run with it. But novel, yeah. Novel happens all of the time. Yeah. When I'm writing long um, pieces. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's it's part of the magic of writing, I think, is that is when when something when a new theme uh comes up or a new or a character says something you didn't expect or something happens that you didn't expect. I think that's 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 part of the magic. Um but let's go back and I to loved it. I loved it in your piece um, how everything comes full circle because you've got Katie's mom who like was so desperate to keep her safe and then she's pretty much like on her last leg and then you wrote that wonderful scene where Katie has to um, help her use the restroom. Um, mm-hmm. Can you speak to that? The relationship and um, mm-hmm. was go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, um, you know, you were asking me um, uh, a few minutes ago, you know, what's biographical, and I and I said I, I wouldn't uh, reveal what was biographical and what wasn't, but that scene, um, you know, the underwear scene um, where, where Katie's helping her mother use, use the restroom, um, that's, that's biographical, that's... Um, uh, you know, my mother, as um, some people know, is in an assisted living facility, and um, there was, a, you know, make a long story short, but there was a situation where um, the care was such that I had to stay the weekend with her and help her in and out of bed and help her to the restroom because she just, you know, she was, you know, she was had been uh, discharged from the hospital, but there you know, there was a gap in terms of care. And so I spent this um, kind of, you know, hellish, but really, really intimate weekend with my mother. And it's, you know, it's, it's such an, it's such an interesting situation to be in, um, you know, doing that. Does she read your work? Say that, say it again. Did your mother read your work? Um, not recently. Um, she's she's read some of it. She's read a couple of the pieces in the Secret Games Awards. Um, she hasn't read this piece. Um, because That's good. I just That's what I said. That's probably good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because you know I. I I love my mom. Um, my mom loves me, um, but I I don't want to hurt her feelings. And she, you know, I I I fear that she would uh, see the the parts of a story that she'll recognize, and then you know, 
kind of take stuff personally that's been fictionalized. And a lot of the, a lot of stuff in this story, obviously, is is um, is is one hundred percent fiction. But but there are little pieces of it, just like little gems, little moments of such intense emotion, like you know, pulling your mother's underwear down so that she can go to the bathroom. I mean, it was just you know, it it, it was a weird moment. Um, and I'm not the only one, obviously, on the planet who's ever experienced that. But it's just such, you know, such a, a, an awkward moment of such pure, undiluted intimacy. Um, you know, I had to find it, find its way into into a story. So. Well, you wrote that scene really well. It's very, very intense and well, beautiful in a tragic way. You know. Yeah. Well, thank thank you. So thank you so much. Um, uh, but I wanted I wanted to make our way back to um, uh, your piece, fruit, um, uh, again. And um, when I read it, I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell you what this piece meant to me. And and that's kind of one of my favorite things to do on these webcasts is. I know, I, I think I'm a pretty careful reader, and but I'm always curious to hear, to, to juxtapose what I think a piece is about and what themes I see in a piece with what the person who created the piece thinks. So to me, um, I saw Fruit as a piece that's about discovering what we're made up of and how those discoveries only take place after loss, um, how they only um, happen after decisions we didn't know we were even capable of making, and how the discoveries and transformation and transcendence even occurs in the quiet, lonely moments, um, such as the moments that make up this stunning story. Um, but you're you're the creator, um, and so I want to ask what what is this piece about to you? Um, what themes did you set out to touch on? Well, you pretty much uh, got the crux of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it. about the choices we make, and um, sometimes we don't know if there's a right one or not. And the fruits and the lives is growth, um, like of a relationship, whether good or bad, and then it's contrasted with the abortion, you know. So then you have the knives and the peeling, and it's also about secrets we keep or don't keep in a relationship. Because she had gotten an abortion and she she couldn't bear to keep it, so she shares it, and then it boomerangs on her. And she ends up being left, essentially. So, in your narrator, she, she she's unnamed. Um, your narrator is simply she. And to me, I I thought that this just added more depth and more more loneliness, if you will, to the piece. Was was that intentional? Um, tell us about the the choice of just using simply she instead of giving her a name. 
you know, I kind of wanted her to be an everybody person, an every woman. And I really don't like using names if I can help it, because if you get the wrong one or you get a name that, like, the reader identifies with, they might not like that person they know with that name. So, so if I can help it, I try not to use names. It usually works better that way for me. Hmm. Why don't we go back like, to I've, food? Yeah, I've, yeah, I just uh, definitely, and but I just it's interesting because I like I said I've read your work before, and now I'm going to have to go back and look at all the stories again because I never I never noticed that you didn't really use names that much. Um, so that's so that's interesting. Yeah, I usually don't, and it's interesting. I would say probably about seventy percent of the stuff I write is from a female point of view. Um, maybe I have a female inside of me, I don't know. But I, t- I tend to be able to find the softer spots um, mm-hmm. when I write from a female point of view um, mm-hmm. or else from a child's point of view. I don't know. Um, can we go back to you for a minute? Yes. Okay. So in that same story, um, there's a moment um, that's really quick that's towards the end where Kitty's mom asks, they're watching TV and Kitty's mom asks what what does HD mean and Katie answers it's for high definition it's a television operating system that's supposed to make a clear picture um, so I took that to mean that Katie was referencing her lack of identity um, her lack of a life, really. Um, can you speak to what you were trying to say there? Yeah. Um, uh, for me, it's 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 a couple of things. Um, it's yeah, it's about Katie's lack of clarity in her life, and it's about her search for clarity and everyone's search for clarity and. It's also intended to serve as a contrast with earlier in the story uh, where Katie is kind of trying to make sense of her life by, um, you know, with this old childhood photograph montage that's, that's in her mind. And those are old, you know, photos taken with an old-fashioned, good old-fashioned flash bulb or Polaroid you know, they're yellow tinged and um so that so that's what was going on there and it's also just kind of a way to demonstrate the different worlds uh that Katie and the mother in this story live in. Um, you know, it's a it's a reflection of change and um, you know, time moving forward, whether we're ready for it to do that or not. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, so that's just like a, just a, just a small, a small piece, uh, a piece of it in, intended to do that, do that contrast with the, with the earlier photographs. Yeah. I thought it was wonderful how you did that. It was just two sentences, but boom, right there. And how about the part where, um, Katie's in therapy, and the counselor asks 
do you want to be right or do you want to be in love? And then Katie's answer is she wants to be right. Um, tell us about that. Because that really surprised me because most people would say, I want to be, you know, loved. I want to be in love. And she wants to be right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think Katie um, is at a place in her life uh, in this story where she's kind of incapable of choosing love um, because she's, you know, so much is going on and she's, she's kind of a mess. But, you know, if you think about it, um, uh, you know, think about all the times, uh, you know, either with your spouse or lover, someone with whom you're in a love relationship, you know, how often do we cling to being right um, uh, at the sacrifice of of the relationship um, just out of our own sheer stubbornness? I mean, I don't know about you, but um, I've gotten in, you know, some kind of petty arguments uh, with loved ones about, you know, like, you know, a political issue, you know, a candidate or something that in the big picture doesn't matter so much as the relationship matters. And, you know, out of stubbornness, you want to be right. And in trying to be right and, and quote unquote, win the argument or, or whatever you want to call it, um, you're sacrificing the love relationship. And so I think that remark um, to her therapist when she's in rehab is just a, a reflection of Katie's stubbornness and how this flaw um, is a part of her undoing, um, certainly certainly in her marriage. So, yeah, I thought um, that was really so clever. When, really yeah. So I, I warned you that these webcasts, you get in conversation and then the time flies by and you can't even you can't even believe it that we've been talking for about almost 35 minutes so um we just oh my have gosh, time really? for i know i told you i told you i mean everybody who who does these with me they just blows their minds um but yeah um so um i let's do this you, i'll ask you one more question and then you can you can wrap it up and ask me one more question but um uh, you've been is this, you've been publishing more than a thousand journals. Is that true, or is it just like a mere nine hundred or something like that? Um, it's, I'm <laughs> at about eight eight fifty eight sixty, I think. Yeah. Um, okay, that's that's a lot. Um, so you're how do you manage to be so productive? I mean, I guess part of that question you've already answered because it sounds like you, you know, unlike people like me, I mean, you sit down and it comes, it comes pouring out without a huge struggle. But tell me about your daily writing practice. Um, I mean, do you? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's for me, I do write fast and, you know, I knew I wanted to be a writer when I was nine. And for whatever reason, wasn't able to be a writer. And so, um, seven years ago, six and a half years ago, I retired from the corporate world, and now I write full time. So, um, so I had the luxury to write like all the time, and 
I treat it like a real job. I mean, I shower, I have breakfast, and I'm up at my desk by nine, and I usually write till five o'clock, pretty much. Um, At least five days a week, yeah. So I should be, I should probably be producing a lot more than I am, to be honest with you, because that's a lot of writing time, but um, you know, I take it really serious. I study the craft. I read books on the craft. I pay attention. I try to read a lot. Um, if there's a hot new book, I try to read that. Um, I just try to stay on top of it. I feel really lucky uh, to be able to write, and um, I respect the craft, I guess I would say. So when I say I treat it like a job, I mean that with all due respect. It's yeah. kind of a dream come true. How about you? Yeah. I mean, you've got you've got a full time job, and you got sure, a lot going yeah. on. You're single, yeah. taking care of yourself. How do you find time to write? Um. Well, it's it's hard. Um. And I go through phases where I'm uh more productive than others or less productive than others. And this year. Um, I've spent a lot of time trying to promote the secret games of words. And um, so that, uh, as I think as most people's experience, that, that, you know, that cuts into the writing time. And that certainly happened this year. Um, but what, what I do, um, I, you know, one full weekend day, um, I don't, I can't, you know, I can't write for, eight hours straight like you. I just, I I just am not capable of doing that, but I'll have like a good solid, you know, five hours of button share time on one weekend day and then a solid three button share hours on the other weekend day. And then when work isn't um, too, too um, horribly um, stressful and taxing, I'll get up and sit at my desk for even just an hour and a half before I jump in the shower and get ready for work. And, um, and that's, that's not enough. Um, but it's, but it's something. And I feel like I'm, I'm moving forward and I feel like, you know, it's like, it's like you, I mean, it's a labor of love. I don't, I don't feel like myself if I'm not able to write. So, um, you know, you, what are you, you working on now? I'm working on, um, I go back and forth uh, between two projects, which of course is like, you know, guaranteed recipe for <laughs> not moving forward in either one of them. But for this year, um, I've been pretty focused on a memoir, um, which is, um, uh, it's, it's partly about um, uh, a, a, an assault um, that I uh, uh, was a victim of when I was in college. Um, but I'm realizing as I'm writing the memoir that that's, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg, that it's not, you know, that's the kind of the, that's the opening scene. That's the inciting instant. But that's that's not what the book's about. Um, I didn't know that um, until I started writing it. Um, and of course, I'm still, you know, very, you know, 
deep into it right now. And so I'm, I'm in that kind of awkward process of figuring out what it's about. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, that, yeah. So that's what I'm working. That's what I'm working on now. So, and then um, there, there's a novel that, that will come about one of these days too, God willing. So. You got a lot going on. Uh, I do, as do you, Len. Um, so I, you know, it's time for us to to wrap it up. But um, I just I want to thank you so much for uh, doing this webcast with me. And anyone who hasn't read The Dark Sunshine, um, get your hands on a copy. Uh, it's fantastic, and definitely, definitely look for Len's new book that's coming out soon from Unknown Press. Thank you so, so much um, for having me. Oh, my pleasure, Len. Um, you have a great night. You too. Bye. Okay, bye.